Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and uh, welcome to our Thirsty Podcast, uh, the first episode in the year 2022. Happy New Year. My name is Jeremy Lightnin, and I'm here with Mr. Zillish. Not really the real Mr. Zillish. This is pseudo-Mr. Zillish uh, because I'm looking for names that start with Z. And uh, today we are trying something new. We are not going to be uh, walking through a particular section of Scripture. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the theme for uh, worship in the, well, by the time you hear this, it'll be the theme for worship of the previous Sunday. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that we're going to go through the gospel lesson and then touch on the other scripture readings for the upcoming Sunday. We just had a couple of things come up recently. Uh, you had wrestling today and basketball last night, and I had a funeral yesterday, and so we weren't able to record this on a Friday afternoon like usual, because the idea is for you to be able to listen to these podcasts on Saturday morning. Uh, since probably very few kids watch Saturday morning cartoons anymore, uh, now, now you can uh, laugh along with us. Hopefully you're not laughing at us on Saturday morning. Uh, but uh, no, this isn't this isn't going to be uh, leading up to. This will be following the Sunday service, and uh, in many of our churches, uh, particularly uh, particularly our Lutheran churches, uh, we will be celebrating the baptism of our Lord. Um, so the readings are uh, from First uh, Samuel chapter sixteen, uh, where you have Samuel anointing David as uh, the next king after God rejected Saul. You've got a uh, word about baptism in Titus chapter 3, and then uh, the account of Jesus' baptism from Luke's gospel, chapter 3, selected verses. So, Jeremy, would you like to read Luke 3, and then we can talk about that one specifically. Okay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John could be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but someone mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love i am well pleased with you so jeremy you said that this sunday is going to be the first sunday after the epiphany so the epiphany is january 6 it's one of the most ancient of the christian festivals in the church here even older than christmas itself uh, we have celebrated an Epiphany Festival most of my time here at this church because the formal, former name of our church was Epiphany Lutheran Church, and if your name of your church is Epiphany, you better have an Epiphany Festival. And the Epiphany Festival is celebrating uh, the wise men coming, and it's Christ appearing to the Gentiles. But when you l really look at the hymns that you sing this Sunday and maybe next year at the Epiphany Festival, notice that the hymns mention three specific epiphanies. There is the epiphany 
to the Magi. There is the Epiphany in the water, Jesus' baptism we're going to look at today, and then the Epiphany of the wine, which we'll look at next Sunday of Jesus' first miracle. So it's very interesting that uh, when the, the early Christians celebrated the Epiphany of the Lord, they often celebrated all three Epiphanies in one. Epiphany to the Magi, Epiphany in the water, and the Epiphany with the wine. So, um, before we had started recording, uh, Pastor Zarling was uh, talking about uh, this reading here from Luke chapter 3, and uh, he was mentioning how the people thought that John was perhaps the Messiah. That's why John is having to tell them, no, I'm not the Messiah. Uh, You're looking for somebody else. And um, I, I guess... One thing that I've always wondered about is, uh, I, I might I might throw some questions your way uh, that that I've always wondered about, and one of them is this: um, th- What do you do w- with uh, the fact that John says, "I baptize you with water," and then he sets up this contrast and and says, "Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire," uh, when we make such a big deal out of baptism, and then uh, somebody who does not believe in baptismal regeneration might uh, point at that and say, see, John is sort of making a secondary thing out of baptism. He's saying, I baptize you with water, but there's this other thing going on. Um, How would you uh, handle an objection to baptism like that? Well, I asked a similar question to my adults in my Bible study yesterday, and I asked them, does baptism save? And the right answer is yes and no. That scripture says over and over again, baptism saves. Uh, that you need that when you are baptized, that saves you. But they all, the answer can also be no, in that even though you're baptized, you can reject your baptism and not believe. And I think what Jesus is, what John is talking about here then is saying uh, there is that water baptism, but then there's also that baptism of the Holy Spirit coming on you. To bring you to faith. And I remember having an eighth grader in catechism class a number of years ago, and he did not want baptism. And using a verse like this and other scriptural passages about baptism, saying, but if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, why would, he, why would you not want water baptism then? You're rejecting a gift that God has given you. So, the Holy Spirit and fire here uh, in verse 16 are that's that's not a separate event from the water baptism. It, is it fair to say uh, John is saying I baptize you with water, uh, but the one who puts the power into the water is the one who comes after me. That's where the Holy Spirit and the fire come from. Yeah. I guess the way I've always take, taken that is Holy Spirit and fire is conversion. But mm-hmm. that's the power of conversion in baptism. Mm-hmm. But the Holy, Holy Spirit can also work apart from baptism and work that same fire and Holy Spirit through his word. So um, d- what would you say to a young lady who uh, does not believe in baptismal regeneration and then uh, attends a, a school where baptismal regeneration is taught uh, and then 
somebody at, at during recess time, a, a little boy or, or other student, uh, throws water at her and oh, no. says, uh, I, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, it, what just happened there? Oh, my goodness. I, I would not want to wade into that. I'm glad if that had to happen to you. So the, the word was there yeah. and water was there. Was that, was that a baptism? I would, I would think not. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I would think not because it's not meant to be a baptism. It, it's, it's, it's even, even the little boy or other student who did it is not um, uh, taking baptism seriously. Right. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, people have said the same thing. Well, then we should just take a helicopter and pour water over everyone's head and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and baptize all of these uh, unregenerate unbelievers below us. Mm -hmm. And that's I, that's not taking baptism seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, when Jesus... Well, oh, Go ahead. So not taking baptism seriously... What comes to mind is, I think it's in Godfather, I think it's in the end of Godfa the Godfather, the, first one, the first one, right? I've only actually ever seen the first one. but Yeah, that um, Michael Corleone is taking over for his father, mm -hmm. and he is, it's right at the end of the movie, and he's going to become the Godfather, and now he is also the godfather of his nephew, and he's in the Catholic Church, making his vows to be this godfather of his his nephew who's being baptized. And at the same time, they keep cutting back and forth between his men shooting down all of the other godfathers. All of the, the mafia doing all of their mafioso stuff. Yes. And he's standing there saying, yes, I reject the devil, and yes, I... Uh, uh, you know, promise to uphold the Christian faith and right. Um, so and, that, so there's someone that does not take the vows, the words seriously. Yeah, uh, what you just said, I I, I got to bring this in now. Okay, I've been doing my prep work. Uh, I have uh, some uh, copies of the Wisconsin Lutheran Quarterly. This is the uh, uh, the um, publication of our Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary in Mequon. And uh, uh, several years ago, they published uh, the axioms of C.F.W. Walther. Now, this sounds like a really boring thing to talk about on the podcast. I do realize. But I just love th this collection of, of quotes because what um, a man named Walther did years ago is he taught a seminary uh, class of dogmatic theology at Concordia in St. Louis. And uh, these are the notes that he used when he taught uh, dogmatics at that seminary and um, it, what I like about him is how nice and short and and pithy each one of these sayings is um, and as long as you brought up the whole uh, issue of uh, the Godfather it, it, it may start uh, it, I'm thinking it could start a discussion about um, sponsors and what it means okay. to be a godparent uh, now that I'm doing this I need just a second if you want to yeah, and talk a little more. Yeah, and so what's what's interesting that I think about the way we're going to be doing this podcast this year is that Jeremy and I talked about it that uh, we really appreciated last year of going through about 
you know, 30 plus books of the Bible really in depth. It's some of the best Bible study I've done outside of being in the seminary. And yet, you know, we had to really rush to get through uh, five chapters in around 50 minutes. So what we wanted to do is uh, have a little bit more freedom in talking about the gospel lesson and the other supporting lessons for a Sunday morning. And then next week, hopefully, we'll have a third microphone with a, with a guest here. So we've, I've asked all kinds of people from the pastors and teachers I know, home missionaries, mission counselors, uh, some of their former Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary professors, some lay people, you know, the people I know. And Jeremy hasn't even reached out to probably the third of the people in the Synod that he's related to to be on the podcast as well. It's true. And then count the people that my wife is related to, and we've got at least half the Synod. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, so I found my quote, and uh, this is, uh, again, from the dogmatics notes that uh, CFW Walter would use to teach his seminary class. And uh, here's a really nice short one about sponsors. It goes like this. The sponsors lend the children their mouth, not their heart. And so that is uh, a good way of saying that when you stand up as a godparent or a sponsor for a child at baptism, um, what you're doing is you're not believing for the child. You're not saying... I get I, what I believe is now making the child believe. Uh, you're saying I'm going to enunciate what God is doing out loud in in this child's heart by uh, getting baptized. Um, so, uh, I, if you are familiar at all, I, I've heard that our ELS uh, brethren, the believers in the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, have an order of baptism in their hymnal where uh, the sponsor actually does that and speaks on behalf of the child getting baptized and and says, I I reject the devil, and uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and I want to be baptized. And all it's doing is saying, uh, somebody's going to speak for the child who cannot speak for him or herself, and and that's what the, the sponsor's job is. And I've had to preach uh, six funerals in the last six weeks. And what I always tell the family as I meet with them is that I'm not going to be talking about the saints so much as I'm going to be talking about Jesus and the life of the saint, beginning with the, baptism. The, the saint being the deceased, the deceased person. Yeah. yeah. And in a beginning with the baptism. And then what I always do then is, so yesterday was Lucille's funeral, is saying that you know, God, the Holy Spirit, came into Lucille's life and she was reborn, that's the epistle lesson uh, for today, that she was reborn through baptism, made a child of God, given that faith, and then I connected to her confirmation that then 13 or 14 years later, depending on the age of the person, that Lucille then stood before the altar of her church and made that those baptismal vows her own. And I, so I bring that up here with the, the sponsor because the sponsor speaks for the child, say for Lucille, and then 13 or 14 years later, then Lucille is standing before that same baptismal font and altar possibly and making those vows of faith her own. Yeah, I, I always liked doing that uh, at funerals too is 
uh, usually it was in when I would read the obituary, I would take the newspaper obituary and sort of rewrite it uh, to include uh, spiritual uh, marks in the person's life of uh, particularly baptism. And I would say, you know, that the birth of so-and-so happened on this day and then the rebirth, uh, this per or I would, I would, my favorite thing to do would be to say this person's soul was born mm -hmm. on uh, the, the baptismal date then. And one of the questions that I'll ask parents as I'm leading them through a, a simple Bible study on baptism is I'll say that in baptism, uh, what does the pastor say? And we look at the passage, Holy baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then I ask them, well, what does that mean? In the name of. And they're not quite sure. And then I ask, well, what name did you give your child? And they'll say, well, named. And it was, it was interesting. One of the kids that I was asking the parents, that they said, well, we named him Michael Daniel Kexel. I said, well, Michael Daniel, that's my first two names. <laughs> so it was interesting. I didn't know that going in. But I said, but why those names? And which is the most important? And, well, they said, well, say Michael. Uh, no, well, Daniel. No, Kexel. Yeah, because he belongs to you. The hospital won't let Michael Daniel leave the hospital unless he belongs to you. And that's what happens in baptism. When you place the name of the triune God on this child, on Michael Daniel Kexel, now he becomes a child of God. He is a, a child of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. He belongs to him. It, that uh, goes really well with a quote from Luther's large catechism. Here's another axiom of Walther. Being baptized in God's name means you are baptized not by men, but by God himself. It's, it's really God doing the baptizing, even though it may be a minister or other Christian believer pouring the water on. And, and that's really no different. A, a lot of times, I think people who are sort of um, uh, anti-baptism or baptismal regeneration, they might think, uh, wow, you really give yourself a lot of credit for saying that you're, you're performing something that God is actually performing, uh, you Lutheran pastors who baptize people. But it's really no different than the high honor that God gives to every parent when you get to father a child or give birth to a child. It's really God doing the miracle of the birth. Uh, you, you, can't, the, you can't fertilize an egg without God giving his divine uh, blessing to let that happen. And it's the same thing. Uh, we have earthly people carrying out the rebirth, too. And what you were just saying there really fits with the, the last few verses of the Luke 3 gospel lesson, uh, that at your baptism, at a child's baptism on Sunday morning, for example, the same thing happens to that child that, happens, that happened to you and that happened to Jesus. That heaven opens, God the Father is there, the Holy Spirit descends on that child, Jesus, the Son, is there, and the Father says to that child, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He is well pleased with Jesus for carrying out this work, that here he is in the dirty water of the Jordan River, getting dirty already at age 30 uh, with the sins of the world, that th three and a half years later he will then take those sins fully upon himself on the cross. 
And because of that work, God the Father is pleased with him. And because of the son's work, now that child at the baptismal font uh, is also uh, well-pleasing to the Father. Uh, you mentioned before we started recording uh, the theme in the service that we'll hear tomorrow, and you'll podcast listeners will hear later in the week, but uh, that theme of um, appearances being deceiving in a way that um, John looked like the Messiah because he was this great preacher that got a huge following, and Jesus was just sort of in the crowd and got baptized with everybody else. He didn't really look like the Messiah, uh, but that's very similar to the Old Testament reading. Uh, so I don't know if you wanted to share a few of your thoughts on, on David getting anointed king. Yeah, so in the Old Testament lesson, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel comes out to the home of Jesse to anoint one of his sons to be, uh, to be the next king. And when he looks at Eliab, uh, that uh, he says... Well, certainly this is the Lord's anointing. He looked like the one who should be king. And looks are deceiving. And it wasn't until he got all the way down to the teenager David, the youngest of the brothers who was tending the sheep, then the Lord says, uh, go and anoint him because he is the one. So again, those that put the scripture readings together, I think that's why they did that because looks are deceiving that Jesus did not look like the Son of God, the one who would be the Messiah, because up until, up until 30 years old, he hadn't done anything yet. Okay? We know nothing about him except his birth, him being uh, named and purified and circumcised at age eight days old and then uh, brought again for purification. <clears throat> and then... Uh, the Magi coming, him being 12 in the temple, and then that's it. So he is unknown. He's an unknown commodity like this young shepherd boy belonging to Jesse. So um, that uh, reminded me of another axiom uh, from Walter. This, wasn't, uh, th- this was a, uh, a statement made by a church father, a pastor a long time ago named Ambrose. And uh, he was talking about Christ's baptism. He said, Christ was baptized not to be made holy by the water, but to make the water itself holy. And uh, that's a thought that I've often used when preaching on Christ's baptism, that uh, Jesus is really the detergent, mm-hmm. you could say. It's, it's, uh, it's not just plain water. It's water with Jesus in it. That's better than what I was thinking of, like boiling the hell out of the water. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you, uh, so now here's, here's, uh, another objection that I've heard to baptism. Whenever you bring up Jesus getting baptized, uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, Jesus got baptized as an adult. So why do you get so hung up on getting infants baptized? If Jesus is the model, then shouldn't we wait until we're adults to get baptized? So I remember, and we're, so toward the end of the podcast, Jeremy and I are going to talk about some of the baptisms we remember. And one of the ones that that I remember would be these two young ladies, 15 and 16 years old. They had been baptized as infants, as Lutherans, but they had gone to, I think it was a Baptist church in town in Radcliffe, Kentucky. And the youth minister there told them that their infant baptism didn't mean anything to them because they needed to be baptized 
when they're older. And, you know, they were, they were crying about that because here is this false theology that's, you know, disturbing and disrupting their faith. So what have you talked to people about with uh, adult baptism versus infant baptism, Jeremy? Uh, well, to go back to that example of Jesus, one point that I try to make is that uh, Jesus did get circumcised at eight days old when he was an infant, and uh, Paul very clearly makes the connection in his epistles between uh, baptism and circumcision, that this, these are both ways that God has made uh, people into his adopted children. Uh, in the Old Covenant, it was by getting circumcised, and that happened when you were an infant. Um, and Paul says that baptism is the circumcision done without hands. Um, and so Jesus was uh, certainly brought into God's holy people through that uh, uh, in the, under the Old Covenant and uh, as an adult under the New Covenant. Uh, but it, it's not really about um, following the uh, timeline of Jesus' life as a role model. It's about just following him as a role model uh, to get, he got baptized, so why wouldn't you uh, want uh, every member of your family to get baptized, even the youngest? And, and talking about like that eight days of circumcision, something that came up as I was looking at all of these dates for these uh, recent funerals is almost every one of the six, they were baptized a month after they were born. But now I've seen, as I've done a lot of baptisms, been blessed that way the last number of years in my ministry, have you seen a difference when, when you were in the uh, pastoral ministry too, not in the high school, and doing more baptisms, have you seen a, what have you seen for ages of children being baptized? Uh, I've seen, uh, I, I have done one adult baptism in my lifetime. Um, uh, no, 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 I take that back. Uh, two. I've done two. But um, my point is simply that um, I've seen I've seen a lot of different ages. I've seen, uh, there was one uh, little girl uh, who got bapt baptized when she was probably, oh, I don't know, uh, at least one, if not two or three years old. And um, they were not in the regular habit. The family was, or the mother of the girl wasn't in the regular habit of going to church. And so it was kind of a joyful thing when we finally got to get her daughter baptized. But she was a little bit older. She wasn't an infant anymore. And, uh, and, and she was leaning. I, I was trying to get her to lean back over the font. And I've got my microphone on my lapel or my stole here. And uh, this little girl is screaming, <laughs> starts getting panicking. She was cheerful before that. But as soon as I started leaning her back to baptize her over the font, uh, she wasn't sure what was going on, and she started panicking and and yelling, "No, no, no!" And then, <laughs> and then, and then I I said, "I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And and, and I started pouring the water on her head. And what was kind of f interesting was, uh, she kept making sounds. She kept saying, "No, no, no!" But then when the water started pouring on her head, she started saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> Uh, now, I'm not going to say, oh, that was the Holy Spirit entering her heart and changing it, but of course it might have been, uh, but uh, the Holy Spirit did enter her heart through that water and those words, but uh, it, it could have, she could have been saying that just because it was a different sensation suddenly on her skin, 
but either way, uh, that y- I'm just answering your question about uh, differing D- ages. ages yeah. of Because I've seen, and I've had a lot of baptisms in the hospital, too. Mm. You know, right away, a, uh, that day or the day after, two days after, uh, not even waiting like this eight days or anything like that, definitely not a month. Sometimes you do that. I've seen parents do that where they're waiting because, uh, you know, get all the family in town and so forth. But a lot of the, what we've done here is I stress the importance of baptism. So a lot of times what we've done is baptize right away in the hospital and then do an affirmation whenever after. Mm-hmm. And one of the things too, uh, I don't know what what you've done and when you've when you've put the baptismal ceremony in the worship service, but I learned several years ago to move it away from the very beginning of the service. Okay. And one of the pastors I was working with said, "Well, it fits really well with the Apostles' Creed, which is really your baptismal creed." Mm, that's true. And so what I've done then is right after the gospel lesson. And, and then we have the children's devotion. Then I'll have the baptism. And then we sing a, a hymn of baptism. And it, that's worked out really well because the parents, the godparents, the family aren't always right here for the f- very first thing of, you know, the service of being a baptism. Okay. So it gives them the first couple of minutes, you know, another 10, 15 minutes to get here. So that works really well, too. But then it ties in with that, with the creed as well. I was wondering if what from what you learned or why you learned that or how you learned that if it was yeah so it was from people not necessarily getting there right on time yeah i I was wondering if maybe it was because uh if it's right at the beginning of the service and the family members are not members of the church necessarily and not really interested in sticking around and suddenly there's a great exodus of people leaving uh, in the middle of the service but uh, no it was like I had two baptisms close together where the family wasn't here, and I had to put it after the gospel lesson anyhow, and so I just learned, let's just put it after the gospel lesson. It fits really well there as well. Hmm. Um, I've got another axiom for you. All right. This is from uh, Bernard. In fact, I, I think that would be the one we would call St. Bernard, but not the, <laughs> not the dog. I, I should probably say St. Bernard. Okay. That might be better. Uh, he he said, we can be bathed quickly, but a return to health requires a lengthy cure. So what does he mean by that? I, I think what he means is, yes, baptism is a very uh, brief thing in the grand picture of it. I mean, you can, you can draw it out and have ceremonies that make it a longer process uh, in and of itself, but but a lot of people who have a hard time grasping baptismal regeneration might say, well, that's it. That's so easy. You just poured the water on and you're done. Uh, And the answer to that is really, no, we're not done. Uh, You can be bathed quickly. We we got the sins washed away, but a return to health requires a a lot longer time. And uh, that's why Jesus didn't just say, go and make disciples by baptizing, he said, go and make disciples by baptizing and then teach them. So that brings to mind, what do you say, Jeremy, to those grandmothers who want to baptize their grandchildren in, in the bathtub? I, that, thank you so much. You didn't even know you were doing this. You set me up for another axiom. All right. Uh, 
there is a distinction between an act being correct and an act being valid. Okay, so what does that mean? What that means is, uh, is it a valid baptism if um, someone, uh, what is the example they give here in the footnote? it 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 would not be proper for you to take your child to a false teaching church and say would you please baptize my child it, a, a christian church that teaches falsehood along with the true doctrine that would not be proper you 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 want you want to take your child to the true teaching church and have that pastor baptize your child that doesn't mean that the false teaching pastor gave your child would gi- would have given your child an invalid baptism uh, and so it's the same thing with, um, uh, oh, like a pastor who uh, is not thinking about the baptism while he's performing it. Uh, mm-hmm. d- it's, that's a sin on his part to be uh, daydreaming while he's doing the sacred act, but that doesn't make the act invalid. And so uh, to, the, to the aunts or to the grandmas or, or relatives who are worried that uh, their little their, their children's or grandchildren are not getting baptized, I would say um, that's a valid baptism. That doesn't make it correct what you did. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've said, and I've gotten some grandmothers not very happy with me. Yep, me too. Uh, especially when they've asked me to do it. Now, it's one thing if, and I, I will tell them, if you do it, well, that's on you. But I don't feel comfortable as the pastor to go behind the parent's Right, uh, behind the parents' backs and baptize them. And there I think of another, I think it was a very famous uh, Archie Bunker All in the Family episode where you know, he and his, uh, his son-in-law, Meathead, or Mike Stivic, didn't get along, and Mike was an atheist, and uh, Archie and Edith were Catholics, so Archie took the, his grandson to the Catholic priest to baptize him. Okay, and I don't remember exactly how that all played out in the episode, <clears throat> but Mike and Gloria, uh, Mike's wife and Archie's daughter, uh, it did not go well. And that's the thing that I warn parents about or grandparents about is you want to raise the child in the Christian faith using the vi- Bible verse you said, baptizing and teaching. It's not just baptism. We need to teach them afterwards. And uh, just giving the sacrament of baptism and making it like a magical incantation of safety for a little while, that's not what God desires. And then if the parents find out, well, and and I say it like this, well, what happens if they find out and they're really mad? Uh, What is that going to do? Are they going to want to then bring that child for the teaching of the the church that you uh, lie to them about baptism? Or... If they come around, the Holy Spirit convicts them, and then they say, you know what, I want to have my kids baptized, then you say, well, too late. Too late. We already did that. Yeah. Or do you just be quiet, and then now the child is rebaptized, it baptized again. And you just put yourself in a very difficult, awkward, wrong place because you weren't honest. Um. I, I could take what you just said in so many different directions. I, I, actually, what you just said is great, and I could take it in a lot of different directions yeah. that, I, that I better not jump into right now. Okay. Um, 
like I was, was going to say. Well, see, this maybe, is maybe 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 uh, if you're so concerned about baptism, you should have taught your children. <laughs> there you go. Before they grew up to be uh, anti-church, but uh, that is yeah, that's really yeah. See, mean. that's is, really mean of me. Yeah. Well, this is this is good for me because I just thought of this as we were uh, talking here. Twenty-five years in the ministry. This is the first time that I'm not preaching on Jesus' baptism. Oh my! Because I'm preaching next week on uh, Jesus' first miracle, <clears throat> so I'm I'm missing this, and uh, I've been blessed here. I don't know if you want to talk about some of the some of your baptisms, your memorable baptisms, because I think of Jesus' baptism, and I've been blessed here to set up a couple of times, two years in a row, for example, baptizing entire families. Mm. So a few years ago, I baptized Alicia. I remember having Alicia as an adult in class. Her son was an eighth grader in our school, and she wanted to become confirmed before he did. And so we were going through classes, and the very first class that I had with her, they had written on the Lutheran order of service, it was the invocation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one of the last questions was, when did God place his name on you? And she said, I know what you want, to, want me to say, Pastor, but I haven't been baptized yet. Oh, my. And I said, oh, well, let's talk about that. And so a few years ago on the first Sunday after the Epiphany, I baptized, it was pretty cool, Alicia and her five children all lined up in descending age and just baptizing them one right after another. And I use a shell, mm. and so I get them wet three times, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then a year later, in the baptism of Jesus, then I baptized Alicia's brother Ernest and his two daughters. Mm. And then a year, so then, and then I think that spring I was able to confirm Alicia's sister as an adult and her niece as well. So it's kind of a neat thing, the whole family gathering around God's altar. And that's what baptism is. It's joining God's family. So it's great when a family joins the family. So what, what kind of story do you have for baptism? All right. Uh, I'm going to give you a menu, and I want you to, to choose a, one of three options. So okay. uh, option number one is um, the vicar story. Option number two is the hospital story. Option number three is the family story. Well, let's go, because I got a couple stories. So let's go vicar. Okay. Uh, well, actually, I was kind of honored uh, to be able to perform a baptism my vicar year because um, it, my uh, bishop had had to have some surgery that sort of put him quite out of commission. By bishop, I mean you're supervising pastor when you are an, an intern of a pastor. You're the, you're the vicar. And uh, my supervising pastor had to have some kind of emergency surgery that uh, took him out of being able to work for a while. And uh, one of the things that I got to do was uh, perform a baptism. And uh, th this is the least important thing of the whole day. The uh, most important thing was that God claimed uh, a child of the devil to become a child of his own and uh, brought another uh, lamb into eternal life. Uh, but afterward, what really took me by surprise was that uh, the family handed me an envelope uh, and it, among you know other things, had a check in it for performing the baptism. And, and 
that, that I, I found out that that's actually kind of an older fashioned tradition that you, you want to say thank you to the person who performed uh, the sad, just like you would for performing a funeral or performing a wedding. Uh, this is a service of the church that they offer to you, and it is, it's, it's appropriate. One way to show thanks is to say, I'm going to give a gift of money to the one who, ga- who did this for me. So another story I have is uh, Tom's baptism. So I had taken Tom and Christina through adult confirmation classes. In fact, last month, uh, while I was holding a call to an, <clears throat> to Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Woodville, Wisconsin, uh, Christina came and talked to me and said, Pastor, you can't go. And a lot of people said that. But then she added, well, because you baptized Tom and me and our children, and you married us. So that was pretty cool to be that involved in, a, in an entire family. And what she was talking about is Tom and Christina had come through my adult confirmation classes. She was probably 18, and he was probably 17. So they were younger. And she joined right away, but he waited another year or two. And then one day in our fellowship area, the friendship room, he stopped me after church and said, Pastor, I'm ready to be baptized now. I said, all right. And, and he goes, and I want to join the church. I said, fantastic. And he goes, and I want to be baptized by immersion. I go, what? And he said, before I could really even say what, he said, because I like the symbolism of having my sinful nature drowned under the water. I said, well, all right. We're all all in, you know, washing of rebirth and regeneration that Paul mentions. And so we set it up, and that uh, Christina's uncle, Arlie, lives just down the road from our church, and he had a pool in his backyard. So I brought some white confirmation gowns for Tom and myself, and was going into the backyard thinking it's just Arlie and Cindy, the uh, aunt and uncle, Christina and Tom, and that's about it not realizing Tom and Christina are Hispanic. The whole backyard was packed with people. <laughs> and we both get in the water. I bap- baptize him underneath the water, the only immersion I've done. And then he comes up, and everyone's clapping and cheering. Mm. And so it was pretty pretty cool with that. It was cold out, too, because it was September. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just that whole idea of how excited everyone was for this young man to be baptized. You said in September? Yeah. Can, it can get cold in September. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like super cold, but it but wasn't. It. If you're in, a, you're in a pool, you're yeah. in water. You don't really want to be in a pool in yeah. September. But that, that was pretty cool. All right, what's your next one? Uh, well, uh, it wasn't by immersion, but um, th- I had never done um, the Easter vigil service before. Uh, this was within the first five years of my ministry. And I'm not going to remember the woman's name. Uh, because she didn't end up joining our church. But uh, the good news is that God remembers her name, even if I forget. And uh, what made this interesting is that uh, she was married to the son of the imam of the mosque in Benton Harbor. Mm. Uh, so the you could say the pastor of the Muslim church in Benton Harbor, Michigan, uh, his son was married to this woman, uh, and she was interested in our church and in uh, in the Christian faith. And uh, she had a, a son from uh, a previous marriage, but then also, or, uh, then also four children with her current husband, and uh, t- two boys and two girls. 
And uh, what happened was that um, I, I took her through some brief classes, and she said that she had never been baptized. Uh, and she said that she wanted her, uh, obviously her husband as a Muslim did not want to be baptized, and I think he only came to church once. Uh, but uh, she wanted her four children baptized. Well, during the course of the classes, the um, husband ended up saying he didn't want his sons to get baptized. Uh, so the two boys uh, did not end up getting baptized, and that was kind of weird and, and sad. Uh, but the two, two girls uh, did. One was an infant, and one was uh, the oldest, actually, of the four that were the couples together. And um, it, so those three, three ladies, the mom and her two daughters, were going to get baptized. And it was in springtime. It was right around Easter. And I said, well, there's this neat thing called the Easter Vigil. And uh, you, we can do a remembrance of everybody's baptism in the Easter Vigil, but it's also possible to do an actual baptism. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is going to be our sunrise service, and uh, this will be, you know, we, we, we better go through rehearsal. Uh, so we went through a rehearsal because this is going to be Easter Sunday, and a lot of people are going to be there. And uh, one of the things was the older daughter said, um, can you throw the water in my face? And I was like, why do you want me to do that? She said, I just want to feel the splash on my face. And so I actually had a shell like you were describing. And, and, I, and I said, okay, I can try to, you know, kind of s swing it at you like mm -hmm. that. And um, uh, then uh, what happened was even after we practiced and we went over everything, this was, this was, the, this was the hood. This was the inner city. And uh, sometimes things don't go the way that you, this, you want the schedule says they should go. And uh, it was Easter Sunday morning. Sun hadn't come up yet. It was dark out. And the service was supposed to be starting. And, uh, you know, the whole bit with the lighting the fire and uh, the processing in with candles and things like that. Um, and they were not there yet. Mm. And I it was about maybe two, three, four minutes after the service was supposed to have started. And I finally said, we, we need to start, even though the family's not here. And maybe they'll show up. And maybe I don't know what will happen. We'll just do a remembrance thing in the middle of this service that we've already printed and prepared. And, uh, and so we started the service and uh, got up to the front and we sang our choir pieces. And uh, there were a couple of readings and uh, the lights, some of the lights were getting turned on. Not all of them had been turned on. And still the family was not there. And I was reading that from the Easter Vigil service, the part about... Um, the Red Sea. Yes. And I was freaking out in my head and mind thinking, what are we going to do when we get to the part in the service where there's supposed to be a baptism and the baptismal family is not here? Uh, I, I could have learned your lesson from putting the baptism in the, <laughs> the Apostles' Creed. and uh, But it, it was that part of the Exodus reading where it said... Um, God is speaking to Moses, and he's saying something. I mean, it's off the top of my head, but it's something like from Exodus 14 or 15. God says to Moses, uh, why are you troubling me? Uh, uh, the, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Uh, you need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. And it was kind of like, it wasn't just like, it was God speaking to me through his word and saying, just, just calm down. Don't worry about it. And and the funny thing was, at the very end of that reading, I was looking down at the lectern, but in my peripheral vision, 
I could see the back door of the church open and that there was a group of people coming in. And uh, then sure enough, when I looked up, there they were. And uh, they were sitting in one of the pews. And during one of the hymns, I kind of walked down and made sure they were ready to walk up and, okay. and do go through it. But uh, that was that was kind of a neat experience. Well, I got one last story. But before I get to that one, what you were telling with that story reminded me of I had a private baptism for three girls in our in our school. Mom was a member, and Dad I think was Baptist, but didn't go. But as I was explaining baptism to the girls and getting ready to baptize them, he said, "Do you mind if I'm baptized too? I haven't I haven't been baptized, mm-hmm. so put a put a fourth baptism in there." Uh, but last story I have, and I've got lots of stories, because like I said, God's blessed me with lots of baptisms. But this one sticks in my mind, too. And my girls, my four daughters, they teased me about uh, weeping uh, at Maggie's baptism. They said, Dad, you didn't, you didn't cry at any of our baptisms. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, the reason is because you were being baptized and going home with a family that, I knew was going to raise you in the Christian faith. I didn't know that for Maggie. Maggie was a student at Shoreland uh, mm-hmm. a number of years ago, and she was uh, living with one of our families. She was a junior or senior from China. And so here she was all by herself. And when what made me weep was that when she would go home, she would have no one. Her mom and her grandmother, they're not Christian. And China is certainly not a Christian place. In fact, she's there in China now, and her host family, uh, nor I, can reach out to her. She asked mm-hmm. us not to because she's afraid that we'll say something, which we probably would, that would be wrong and caught by the communist government, and then she and her family could be taken away and never seen, seen from again. Uh, and yet, and so baptizing her uh, was pretty cool because in the beginning— when she was at Shoreland, she was an atheist. Hmm. And then her uh, her desiring that baptism, going through classes with me, because that was kind of one of the conditions that her host family had with her. You just go, th- go through the classes, and whatever happens, the Holy Spirit moved her, and you could just see her warming up uh, to that. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty neat to be able to, to baptize her, and even though... I got a little wet from my tears, too. But that mm-hmm. works. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. So we're still able to hit our 50-minute mark. 50-minute mark, yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say as we wrap this up? Uh, remember your baptism. Yeah. yeah live, live your baptism. Celebrate that baptism that you see on Sunday morning when those kids are being baptized and celebrate with the families. Uh, so next week, we're going to be looking at the next lesson on Jesus' first miracle. And then we're going to have, Lord willing, a guest. We had uh, a guest lined up, but because of things changing around with when we could record, uh, we weren't able to get a uh, get that guest. And so what we're going to be doing then with the guest is kind of uh, introducing him or her, and then, or maybe it might be a couple people, we're going to be doing some via Zoom as well. And then we're going to uh, go through the gospel lesson, but also doing an interview uh, of the person as well. 
So this is Pastor Zarling with Magicat, because I'm going to be using this year all my names from Psych. So uh, Pastor Magicat, stay thirsty, my friends, and drink deeply from the water of life.